Well, like I said, it is a privilege to be able to be here with you this morning, and I look forward to opening this text with you today. But as way of introduction, I'd like to be able to ask you a series of soul-searching uh, questions and ask you to just to follow along and to ask the Lord if you've ever felt like this. Have you ever felt like a wanderer with no home or ever experienced soul hunger and thirst which nothing in this world can satisfy? Have you ever experienced a darkness in your soul that made you feel like a prisoner in your own head? Or have you ever spurned the grace of God and experienced affliction or sickness because you chose your sinful habit over his loving provision? Or have you ever been overwhelmed by your circumstances and lost your courage to go on? If you have faced any of these or all of these feelings at some point in your life, you need to see and you need to be reminded that we have a Redeemer. He is ready to reveal himself to us. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. God, through the psalmist, uh, like a song leader, leads the people in worship as he reminds them of his steadfast love and how he's heard their cry for deliverance and he's made provision for their need. And my hope this morning as we walk through this psalm is to encourage us all when we go through life's challenges for us to see and to testify to God's steadfast love. When this aspect of God's character is seen, that you will treasure Jesus Christ, the very manifestation of God's steadfast love. So let's pray that he would reveal that to us this morning and fill us with himself. Amen. Join me in prayer. It's for this reason to exalt you, Christ, that we bow before you, our Father in heaven, and from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height in the depth, and for us to truly know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to your power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This psalm, like I said, is a, it's a poetic praise psalm. And it's meant to remind and urge us, the redeemed, to testify and to give thanks for God's love. It is a companion psalm to Psalm 105 and 106. And these three together form this Thanksgiving trio. And they're read, as you read through them, they're meant to be read all in unison, to be able to appreciate the beauty of what God is communicating through the psalmist here in this passage. Psalm 106 starts off. The rest of the psalm, I want you to be able to just look at, after, if you're at 107, turn back for just a moment to Psalm 105 and just look at that Psalm 105 as we start our time. I want us to get a, a running start and look at the context, the historical background and structure for us to fully appreciate Psalm 107. But Psalm 105 starts off, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known 
his deeds among all the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he has uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Beautiful way to be able to start off that psalm. The rest of the psalm recounts Israel's experience from the time of God's covenant with Abraham to the people's entrance into the promised land. This psalm here highlights God's steadfast love as he providentially preserved his people. And then look at Psalm 106 together. Starts off in the same way. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then this psalm, as you survey this psalm, this psalm tracks Israel's unfaithfulness during the same time period and reflects the years of their exile to Babylon. And it emphasizes God's unfailing love even when his people fail to remember and are judged for their unbelief. Let's pick up in verse 6. I want you to see this. Psalm 106, verse 6. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity and have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea and at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words and they sang praise to him. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. And he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. That's a scary thought. The rest of the psalm shows what happened when his people forget him. They turn to their own man-made gods as you look through that psalm. And it's not unlike us, is it? Look at verse 43 of this same psalm. After accounting for all of that history, verse 43. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and he relented according to his steadfast love. Look at that. Why did he relent? It was because of the abundance of his steadfast love. Then a few verses later in verse 47, you have the psalmist pleading with the Lord to save them. It says, save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Then you have the doxology closing out book four of the Psalms and then this seamless transition 
right into Psalm 107. Psalm 107 that opens up with thanks to God for their deliverance after 70 years of exile. And as we see there in verse 3, God has answered their prayer and he has gathered his people back together. Psalm 107 now here, as we look at Psalm 107 within that context, this Psalm 107 is a gem. And I tell you, the more I have read it, the more I fall in love with its beauty. And I hope that you do the same. I was rereading it again this morning. And I just sat there with a joy in my heart and my spirit, reflecting on God's steadfast love. And I pray here today, as we walk out, I pray that we walk out differently because that we have encountered the presence of the living God and we've seen Jesus Christ and we've savored his beauty. And I pray that as we work through this psalm. This psalm is unique. It's structured like a sermon. If you look at this whole psalm, and I want to do a survey here before we read it. But this psalm is structured. There's an introduction. And we get that introduction in verses 1 through 3, which states God's theme of loyal love and redemption from the enemy. Then there's the main body of the sermon, if you will, with four stanzas describing portraits of people in difficult circumstances set off by the word some. So if you'll note it in your Bible, I want you to take note of this. If you have a pencil, if you'd like to be able to mark it, you'll see these sections that are set off with the word some. And you'll see it all throughout the scripture. Verse four is the first some. Some wandered in desert waste. And then we see it again in verse 10. Some sat in darkness, were prisoners. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways. And then verse 23, some went down to sea, to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. So there is the body of this message. There's the wanderers in group one. In group two, it's the prisoners. In group three, it's the sick, those that are in affliction due to their sin. And then there's the group four, which are overwhelmed by their circumstances, indicated by the experience of these sailors. Then there is a summary of God's ways, which you have in verses 33 to 42, in which the psalmist makes the point that God brings down the self-sufficient, but he lifts up the needy who call to him. Then, as all good messages, there is a summary, there is a conclusion in verse 43. Look at verse 43. It says, Do you want to be wise? Let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of of the Lord. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is spend our remaining time on the main body of this psalm uh, that consists of these four portraits of people in these difficult circumstances. In each case, the people are overwhelmed with a problem that they could not solve. They cried out to God in prayer, He answered their prayer with His provision. And then there is an exhortation for them to praise him for what he has done. You guys got it? There is a problem, a prayer, a provision, and a praise. Some commentators see each of these four portraits of people in poetic ways are referring to the experiences of the people during the time of exile. But if you try, as I've tried, to put a historical pen down on each one of these sections, it'll frustrate you. Uh, because it's difficult to be able to nail down exactly when these times happen. So I was reading an insight from C.S. Lewis, and he said this. He said, 
that I, something that I think we need to appreciate and understand when we open the book of Psalms. He said the Psalms are poems. And poems are intended to be sung. Not doctoral treaties or not even sermons. Most emphatically, the Psalms must be read as poems, as lyrics, with all the license and all the formalities, all the hyperboles, the emotion, rather than the logical connections, which are proper to lyric poetry. They must be read in that way in order to understand them. Otherwise, we shall miss what is in them and think that we see what is not. So it's a special, special type of literature that God has given us in the Psalms that we are to appreciate and to read with such passion. So are you ready? Are you ready to read through this psalm? I think it's going to be one of your favorite psalms when we get done here today. It is a wonderful psalm. And knowing the background now and knowing the structure, we're going to read through this psalm, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Um, I don't know if you do this often in your church. We don't do it often in our church. But I see this repetitive refrain, and I know what the author is trying to do is to try to invoke corporate praise and worship. So I'm going to have you uh, do some responsive reading with me through this psalm. We're going to read through this entire psalm, Psalm 107. Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? Amen. So the more we hear the word of God, the more God evokes faith in us and our faith is stirred and it grows. So as we're reading this text, I want us to be able to look through the words for us to read in unison. And then there's going to be certain parts, certain verses. uh, It's going to be the the same refrain that you're going to be able to say over and over again. And it starts in verse 6. Okay, this is your part. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Okay, when we get to that portion of the verses, you, I'm going to look to you, and you're going to read it. I think it's highlighted when we go through it on the screen. That may help you a little bit. Thank you to Jared for doing that. Then there's verse 8. Verse 8 is, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Now, those two verses are repeated throughout this whole body of the psalm. You'll see those same verses in verse 13 and verse 15, okay? You'll see it again in verse 19 and verse 21. And then you'll see it again in verse 28 and verse 31, okay? This is really unique to be able to have this repetitive refrain, and it's meant to teach us something. It's meant to us to teach us to go to God in the midst of our problems, to cry out to him. And then it's meant to be able to look for his provision. And then it's meant to be able to encourage us to go back and to praise him for how he's delivered us. You with me? All right, you guys ready? So your part again. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And then I'm going to read verse 7 and then you're, going to read, then you're going to respond. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. You guys got it? All right, I believe, I'm trusting you guys look, look good. All right, verse, uh, verse 1. Let's look at this together. This is Psalm 107, verse 1. And listen to the emotion that this praise leader is trying to be able to get to his people. And he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. 
He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and they spurred the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. He brought them out from darkness and the shadow of death and he burst their bonds apart. For he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts the, into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of of death. He sent out his word and he healed them and he delivered them from their destruction. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and he raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men at their wit's end. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Oh, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. For he turns the rivers into a desert, springs of water into a thirsty ground a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, or evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and he makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen? Amen. May God's word be honored as it is read and exhorted. This psalm opens up in verse 1. Let's look at it together. Exhorting the people to give thanks using the name LORD in all caps. Notice that. It is His name, Yahweh. 
God introduced himself to the patriarchs and established his covenant with them as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But it was when his beloved people were enslaved, broken down, crying in the wilderness, despairing, wondering if God had forgotten them, that he chose to make himself known as Yahweh. I am who I am. I am who I was and I always will be. This isn't just any God to the psalm. Uh, The psalmist is crying out. This is the God who doesn't give up. This is the God who hears. He is not only a covenant-making God, He is a covenant-keeping God. And His steadfast love is never-ending. Hesed. It's a beautiful word, hesed, or hesed, depending on how you pronounce it. But the word in Hebrew is a weighty word. And it's difficult for us to convey in English. It's been translated in various ways, from faithfulness to goodness, kindness, loyal love, mercy, steadfast love. It all involves two parties. Whether between family members, a host and guest, friends, or a king and his subject. And it always entails practical action on behalf of another in an enduring way that binds the two together. Hesed. It binds these two relationships together in a covenant-keeping way. This is this love that God has bound to his people. It's an active, enduring, loyal love that finishes to the end. Amen? What a word. It's that Hesed vow, you remember the book of Ruth, that Ruth makes to Naomi. I will go where you go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. It binds together. And it's that same love that moved Boaz to show that Hesed to Ruth. That faithful, loyal love that follows through in action. It's a committed, active, enduring, binding love. And not only does the psalmist want us to testify or or to see it or to remember the steadfast love, look at this in verse 2. But he wants us to testify to it. Look at verse 2. Let the, the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble. Now let's think just a moment. Our purpose, we just sang it just a few minutes ago. I will tell of that story. As we were singing that song, I'm like, that's it. That's what we're meant to do, folks, is to tell of this story. What's the first thing that happens to you or I when we experience something special? Think about it just a moment. Oh, this tastes so good. You got to taste this, right? You want somebody to be able to enjoy what you're enjoying. Oh, you got to come see the sunset. You got, you got to see this. You want somebody else to be able to experience the beauty that you are seeing, right? It's like a child with a new toy that gets something that's new to him. Or a student with a new phone. You got to see this. There's a joy. Or a parent with a new baby. Or a grandparent with a new grandbaby. There's such pride and joy, isn't there? And you want to show everybody this precious grandbaby that's prettier than anybody else. It's part of this phenomenon that we have now in our social media and Facebook sharing, or these Snapchats and Instagrams that we convey. It's, we want to share. 
And we want to tell others. Now, I would submit to you, there's a reason for that. Because God has hardwired you and me to be about sharing. And when we get joy in sharing, it fulfills our joy. All right? This is an amazing quote that I found here with, again, C.S. Lewis and his reflections on the Psalms. I would commend that to you. He says this, We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the joy. It is its appointed consummation. You follow me? We delight to praise, and that part of that praising is the sharing of that praise. And actually, the sharing of that praise completes our joy. You with me? So when you speak forth gospel truths, it, you're not just to do it out of obligation. You do it for your joy. I don't know about you. When you have the opportunity to be able to share the love of Christ and you have the opportunity to be able to tell somebody else about what God is doing in your life right now, right here, there is something that happens in your soul that you, you get excited and you get joyous when you share what God is doing in your life. That's what this psalm is meant to, to exhort us to. It's saying, redeemed, I want you to be able to savor and to love the steadfast love of the Lord and then I want you to find the joy and being able to tell others about that, what, you, what God has done for you. You see that? You know what it's like. Many of you have had that privilege to be able to share your faith with somebody else, and it just satisfies you like nothing else. We were made to testify. We were made to share. You and I were made to praise. Amen? We were created with this innate desire to find ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasure in God. And that is most fully realized when we praise Him for what he has done and what he is doing. It is one of the purposes of Psalm 107 to remind the redeemed to consider this love, how he has saved them, how he has saved their soul from trouble, and for us to experience the joy in saying so to others. Many of us have yet to realize lasting joy because we're not sharing and we're not telling. We're not telling others about the most important experience that has ever happened in our life. Listen to me, and I'm talking to myself too. We are not to be collection tanks of truth. We're not just to be able to download sermon after sermon after sermon, and it just being able to increase our capacity. We are with no outlet. We are to be a conduit of God's truth. Okay? It is to come in us and it's to come out of us. We're not to be these collection tanks. It should be coming in us, transforming us, and then reverberating out, out of us. You follow me? That's a great joy if we can get that. God, I pray that we would get that. Now to these stanzas. Let's look at the body of the text here. These stanzas that are identifying a problem, a prayer cry, the provision for the need and the exhortation to pray. The prayer cry and the exhortation to pray is the exact same as we just read and noticed in our responsive reading. And that repetition should be instructive to us. It's a pattern that should exist in our own life. So let's take each of these stanzas and see if we can identify the problem and take note of the provision, okay? With me? So the first portrait that we have is in verses 4 through 9. Verses 4 through 9 is this first portrait that we have set up by the word some. 
It says this, Some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord, there's their prayer cry, and he delivers them from their distress, and he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. So let's summarize the problem here, okay? The problem for this group is that they are lost, they are hungry, they are thirsty with no home. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble. The provision, it says that he leads them by the straight way. Hold on to that word for just a moment. Leads them by a straight way to a dwelling place of refreshment so their soul can be satisfied. Historically, I'm sure that the Israelites could relate. They had grown up hearing the stories of the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, a judgment upon the people of God for their lack of faith. They were led to a point of desperation as they cried out to God in their need for food and drink. And as you remember, God miraculously provides, doesn't he? In the form of daily manna and water from the rock. So let me ask you, can we relate to these wanderers? Before Christ, many of us wandered in desert waste, finding no satisfaction for what our souls were longing for. We were hungry and thirsty for meaning in our life and fulfillment. And many of us turned to the world's offers to satisfy those God-given needs. Like the woman at the well in John 4. You remember that story? I love reading that story. Jesus comes to this woman presenting a need for a drink only to give her what her soul truly longed for. Remember the story? Her soul was thirsty and she didn't even know it. Looking for meaning in relationships, she was wandering from man to man and Jesus confronts her about it and asks her to call her husband. You remember that story? And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're right in saying you have no husband. You've had five. And the man that you are currently with is not your husband either. Startled, she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You think? I perceive you're a prophet. And then she asks, where can I go to get right with God? I've heard people worship over there on that mountain or other people worship on this mountain. And Jesus tenderly looks at her. You want to know where to worship God? And he just kind of looks over here and just locks in her face. I who speak to you am he. And he speaks tenderly right through her soul. It's so, it's so penetrating to her, she goes out and tells the whole city about it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing moment. Jesus is her provision, y'all. And he says he has come to give her living water. A few chapters later in that wonderful book, he describes himself as the bread of life. And then a few chapters later, he has said that he prepares a home for us. Those that have no home, those that are wandering, looking for a home, looking for hunger, looking for thirst. And Jesus tells us the way, home, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the provision for the lost, the hungry, and the thirsty soul. He is the way home. Amen? So what do we do with that? Well, we're meant to be able to praise and to tell others about that. We're meant to be able to share and be able to tell others how he has satisfied your soul. And you're meant to be able to tell others what end up you ended up gravitating to. Because every one of us gravitate to something. 
don't we? And we still do it. We just start turning and we start moving away from this true source of satisfaction that our soul's been created for. And we just go to one thing. And then we get so absorbed in that one thing and we get so consumed with whatever that may be that we are looking for longing and we miss it. We miss what God has for us. Jesus is the provision for you. So let's look at this next section, verses 10 through 16. It says, Some sat in darkness and the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they rebelled against the words of God and they spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. So let's summarize the problem here, okay? And this next stanza. The problem here is that they are enslaved. They are in darkness because of the rebellion with none to help. They've rebelled against God's words and they've spurned his counsel. The provision Jesus gives, verse 14, they are brought into the light and set free. And again, historically, I'm sure the Israelites could relate to this, couldn't they? They were in bondage and enslaved to Egyptians for 400 years until God sent Moses to be their deliverer. And can we relate to these prisoners? Can you relate to these prisoners? I know I can. Jesus says in John chapter 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Paul says in Titus 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, enslaved to the various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That is actually the reason why Jesus came. As a matter of fact, when Jesus started his ministry here on earth, if you remember, he says that he walked into the synagogue and he read from the prophet Isaiah. You remember that moment where he opens the scroll and his eyes land on the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to re- help recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> the text says then he rolled the scroll up and he sat down. It was like Jesus' drop the mic moment where he just finished what he had to say and just sat down and the people looked at him were absolutely amazed. What did he just say? Jesus says this in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in 831, he says, if you abide, then no, if you abide in me and my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the provision for those in darkness that are enslaved to various sins. And we're to know that. And we're to tell of that. How he has set you free from that same bondage. The next section begins in verses 17 through 22. And these are those that are suffering affliction. It says, Some were fools through their sinful ways or foolish living. And because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction or brought low or depressed. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. So the section, the problem here that we identify is affliction caused by foolish, sinful living. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to man, but its end 
leads to death. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But the wages of sin is death. But sin can be so alluring, can it? Remember the words in Proverbs 7 about the adulterous woman. With such seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast until the arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know what, that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has been laid low, and all her sin, all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way of Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. So what is the provision? Look at verse 20. What is the provision for those that are enslaved to this? That are sickness and suffering affliction. The provision, verse 20, he sent out his word. He sent out his word. And he healed them. And he delivered them from their destruction. He sent his word. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Remember what it says in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and full of truth. He is the living word that came to heal the sick. Jesus said in his own word, he said, it's not the healthy that I come for, right? I have come not for those who need a doctor, but for those who need a doctor that is just sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And his word heals. Have you experienced that? His word heals. The Bible says in Hebrews that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the deepest parts of our being able to judge our thoughts and intentions of our heart. The word of God is a gift to us. And it is meant to do heart surgery. It is the living word that comes to be able to use his written word, to be able to embed it into our soul, to change us. Those that are described in this section are those that have been brought low because of their sin. And they are especially exhorted in verse 22 to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. And that is exactly what you and I are to do when it comes, when his word comes to you and he reminds you of his steadfast love, that he sees you through the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is the living word and he is the provision for the sin and the afflicted for those that are sick and afflicted by sin. And then lastly, in the last section there, beginning in verse 23, these sailors represent those that are overwhelmed by their circumstances to the point of hopelessness. Look at verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and he raised the stormy wind and he lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Verse 26 says, because of their fearful plight, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Literally, they 
Their skills were useless. So the problem here, these are describing those that have lost all hope. They realize that they can do nothing to save themselves. And then you get God's provision. Verse 29, he quiets the storm. He hushes the waves and brings joy and rest, doesn't he? The desired haven that we all want to be in basket. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that Jesus? He hushed the storm. You remember that scene in the Gospels? That picture where Jesus is asleep in the stern of the, the boat. And they are going through the storm of their life. He was there all along, but it wasn't until their distress do they call for him. And they're in panic. This is no ordinary storm here. This is a megas storm. And they're scared to death. And there was panic in the boat. You know it's bad when a bunch of sailors ask an ex-carpenter for help with their boat. But that's where they're at. And they cry, Master! Master, wake up. Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you asleep? Don't you see what's going on? And it's typically after that point that we are right where God wants us to be. When I read this story, the Holy Spirit prods me here because I have a tendency to do that in the midst of my troubles and distress. Don't you care, God, what I'm going through? Can't you see my heart's pain? Where are you, God? And that is meant for us to be able to cry out in that moment. Not to cry out to any other things, but to cry out to God who created us. It's usually at this point of desperation, look at me, that God gets our attention, isn't it? I don't know about you, but that's the moments where God has got a hold of me. In the moment of my desperation, when I knew there was nothing that I could do to get out of my plight. And it's at that moment of absolute desperation that God can take you in order to communicate himself to you in a special way. Some of you are at that point right now in your life. So what do you do when you're at that point? You cry to God in your distress and he will deliver you. The fallen race is a basic problem. We tend that we think that we're self-sufficient. In order to God to communicate his love, he often has to bring us to this point of total awareness of our need and dependency upon him. Jesus is the provision for the overwhelmed and helpless. As you meditate on the psalm, and the more times that you meditate on it, and the more times you linger over this sacred psalm, you will realize that each of these portraits are describing a different angle, but from fallen humanity, and we are the wanderers, aren't we? We are the prisoners. We are those that are sick in our soul. And we are those that get overwhelmed over and over, aren't we? Our problem, our souls are lost and they're hungry and thirsty and slave to sins. And oftentimes it brings depression, doesn't it? My question to me and to us is, in the midst of that depression, have you called upon the Lord in your distress. Amen. He has made a way for you. He's made a way for me. And He satisfies our longing soul. 
He is there to set you free. He is there to give hope to the hopeless. He is worthy of our praise. Amen? If He has redeemed you, if you experienced wholeness in your encounter with Christ, you are meant to say so. Verse 32 says, let them extol Him. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. The final verses of this psalm are just a reminder that God is in control and He's sovereign over all things. Verse 43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. If I were to summarize this sermon in one sentence, here it is. You've not heard anything else, and I hope you've heard a lot, but you've not heard anything else. Here's your takeaway, okay? In the midst of life's challenges, look for God's steadfast love and receive the loving embrace of the embodiment of that love in the arms of Jesus and then go tell others how he has redeemed you. Let's pray.